welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, I've only had one beer, but a hangover might be coming. The 49ers coming off an overtime win, a two-game road trip, and a looming short week face a struggling Atlanta Falcons team. And with me this week, fresh from teaching his course how to handle kickers at the Urban Meyer School of Coaching, it's David Newman. Ow. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure. I feel like I should be offended by that significantly <laughs> look all i'm saying is i feel like urban meyer channeled your kicker energy and and it went right through his body into his right leg and straight into another kicker's leg i don't actually dislike them as humans <laughs> i don't want to kick them i just don't wow, this- want my team to pay them a lot of money that's it. All, all of that is fair. Uh, you cannot want to pay a kicker a lot of money um, and call them, I don't know, by their real name. Or <laughs> Dipshit. Dipshit, make your make- kicks. I know I always feel really comfortable at my place of work when I get called a dipshit. My daughter is like, hey, dipshit, give me some milk. And I'm like, Fuck. Yeah, that's what it feels like sometimes. Sometimes my daughter will look at me and she does. she's now done the milk signal um, which for those that are unaware, the milk signal uh, is is like making a fist. And now she does it with both hands. And so she just looks at me and she goes, like, oh, oh, give me the milk. Oh, bitch. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. A little bit of housekeeping before we get into the preview of this Falcons game. Uh, it is uh, the holidays. It's Christmas time. I will be traveling. I'll actually be out in the Bay Area. Uh, and the Niners have a Thursday game against the Tennessee Titans. And that means that we will have no Thursday pod this week. We'll have a Sunday pod, the reaction after the Atlanta Falcons game, but we will not have a Thursday pod uh, previewing the Titans game because when we would be recording the pod, they will be playing the game. So we'll, we're going to skip the, the Thursday holiday. Uh, our gift to you, you don't get to listen to my Cedar Fever nasally voice. And, uh, and we'll just come back the, uh, the following week for another show. Uh, now let's get into this preview about the Falcons. Cause the, the first question you have to think to yourself is, okay, this might be a trap game. We talked about it. We talked about all the things coming into this. It's a two game road trip. The, the same thing happened in 2019 when the now Super Bowl bound 49ers team came back after a two game road trip. They had an emotional game after the saints. They won that kind of late game, George Kittle, you know, Garoppolo and Kittle defining play come to Atlanta. They were favored by 10 and a half points. And end up losing on the last play, two seconds left, because Julio Jones is a large, large man and was able to just sneak over the end line. And, and really, that, that cost the team a lot because that made that final game against Seattle all that more important. They ended up winning that game. But had they lost that game, has, does, if Dre Greenlaw doesn't get kind of the clinch at the one-inch yard line, that season may go very, very differently, all because they, they really screwed up against the Falcons after a two-game road trip. So here they are again. They find themselves with their playoff destiny in their hands, and they could really screw this up. Looking forward to the Titans on Thursday, an emotional two-game, an overtime win over Joe Burrow. Uh, you know, this seems like it is ripe to be a trap game. I mean, the good news is that Julio Jones can no longer hurt us until next, next week, week when they play the Titans. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, so you got a one week reprieve. Yeah. <laughs> at least, at least there's that. I, I mean, yeah, it, it certainly is big. I mean, we talked about after the, the Bengals game, right? How they've now kind of put themselves in a position where they've got four games left. 
two of them on paper seem very, very winnable, right? That That's this game against the Falcons, and that's in two weeks against the Texans. Those games are both at home, and, and they are, are both against inferior teams, right? And we're going to talk, obviously, a bit about the Falcons and, and why that's the case here. But, yeah, it, it, it really is a, a position where they they are in a good spot in terms of controlling their own playoff destiny, right? And, and so a loss here really does complicate things because now you're in a spot where you're definitely going to have to win at least one of those other games on the road uh, that are going to be a bit more difficult. Yeah, I guess the good thing is that this team, this Falcons team, is a 6-7 and seven team, sure, but they're not really a good 6-7 and seven team. You look at their point differential. Minus 108, second worst point differential in the NFC, fifth worst point differential in the NFL. If you look at their Pythagorean record, uh, their Pythagorean record is four and nine, which means they are overperforming. And whether it comes this season or next season, the regression to the mean would mean more losses for this team, not more wins. And so when you think of like, you know, a fraudulent team, it's it's tough that ought to say that you're a fraudulent six and seven team, but that's on paper the way that the Falcons are shaping up. This is just not a great team, irrespective of the fact that they too are in the playoff hunt. Yeah, and and it's not like they've faced, I think, an overly difficult schedule, right? I, I think you look at it what they've gone against so far, the twentieth most difficult schedule uh, according to PFF. And so it's not like they're, you know, a six and seven team that really is is probably a little better than that. And they've just kind of had a tough road. And that's why they're uh, sitting a little bit below 500 there. The the point differential is is obviously been a problem, like you mentioned. And every single one of their wins has come by one score or less. And in those one score or less games, they are six and two. Uh, and their wins right now are only coming by an average of uh, just under five points, 4.8 points. So they are winning uh, not a lot of games, and when they win those games, it's by just a little bit. I mean, two of their wins have been by two points, um, and, and so yeah, this is not a team that screams like they are better than their record seems. Like it's it's really quite the opposite. They're they're really quite fortunate to be at six wins right now. This is really a, a team that has performed much worse than that. Yeah, you look at the Niners and you look at how they stack up in similar metrics. The 49ers have a Pythagorean record that's exactly where you would expect it to be. It's their actual record, 7-6. and six. And they're 4-4 four and four in games decided by one score or less. And so the 49ers basically are as good as they have been, which is they have been in, sometimes, in some cases good, in some cases bad, in some cases they lose winnable games, in some cases they win games maybe that like get the ball bounces another way, maybe it doesn't go that way. And so the Niners are really performing where you would expect based on the amount of points that they put up. And that means that on paper, you know, they're nine and a half point favorites. I think I've seen anything from eight to nine and a half point favorites, um, which is is wild because the, the relative strength of both teams has gone down since 2019. The Falcons were a better team back then. The Niners were a much better team back then. And and now they've both kind of slid down into the wild card territory. And, and really, it's just a one point difference in terms of, of the point spread, which is kind of hilarious. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not a team. I mean, it's wild to think that at this stage in the season that the 49ers be going against any team that they are, you know, nearly double-digit point favorites uh, against. But yeah, I, I, and I think it makes sense here, right? I, I don't really think the Falcons are a very good team. And, and again, the 49ers, while maybe not 
playing at the level of, you know, one of the the contenders in the NFC or, or in the league uh, as a whole, like they still have been at least pretty good about beating teams that they are clearly better than, right? And they're kind of in that middle of the pack right now where if they go against somebody that's at the bottom of the league, they tend to handle those games pretty well. If they go against, you know, a team that, that on paper is better than them, those have gone, you know, more poorly. So the last few games, Jimmy Garoppolo has played fairly well outside of some boneheaded decisions outside of his typical kind of going blind and not seeing, you know, some kind of a robber in a cover one scenario. Overall, he's played well. So if we think about the the Falcons defense and what challenge they present for someone like Jimmy Garoppolo or whether or not they present a challenge against the 49ers run game, you know, that's that's likely where I would start to look at this game. And, And you look at what the Falcons do. And you think, okay, they're, they've gone away from their single high structure. They're no longer that team now. They're really a cover two team. They've run cover two more than any other team in the NFL. They're 10 percentage points higher than the next closest team. So it's not even close. This, this is what they do. They love to do it. Over, I think exactly a third of their plays have been cover two. The problem, though, is that they're not good at it. They're the fourth, they have the fourth lowest team coverage grade in cover two. And, and cover two is keeping both your safeties back, which means that you're usually playing with a lighter box. And so either they're likely going to change and, and kind of not play as much cover two, or they're going to play cover two and the Niners are going to run the ball. And this is going to be, you know, for those East Coast or, or Central Time Zone dads, going to be a great game. <laughs> we might have to do this pod at like 4 p.m. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, the game is 42 to 10. It is 4.30. This is great. Let's go. <laughs> Before dinner. 4, 430, 4.30 Central for those that are, that are, that are keeping track at home. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. Cover I, two, man. It, it's, it's been, yeah, so I think there's, there's a couple things there, right? I mean, on one hand, you could uh, you know, make a counterpoint and say that, like, well, are they actually good in anything? And I wouldn't argue with that a, a whole lot, right? So I think whether they're running cover two or not, this defense hasn't been very good. And then, yeah, you look at, I, I think, how that first affects they're the 49ers run game right and and if they sit in that as frequently as they, they have been over the course of the entire season that certainly is going to open up things because you don't have uh you know an extra uh, defender down in the box there and uh you know that's going to give you a, an advantage in the run game obviously and so if they tend to do that on base downs that's certainly going to work in the 49ers favor now they they do still i mean again we're talking about they run it way more than any other team in the NFL, but that's still only about a third of their plays, right? So there still is a whole other 66% in there. And and in those, they are still doing a lot of that same single high stuff, cover three, cover one. And, and so it's not like we're going to see them, I think, take the Rams approach, right? And be in kind of that too high structure for the majority of the game. But when you look at it, I think now the passing side of that, and if they do tend to, to say like they lean more cover two in, in clear passing situations, right? How does that affect what Jimmy Garoppolo and, and this offense like to do? Uh, I, I think one, it does put some more bodies in the middle of the field, but in the 49ers favor, those bodies haven't been very good, right? Their linebackers, Deion Jones, Aluakun, 
have not performed well this season. And so what that tells me is, is, well, yes, you should have typically in, in cover two, you know, you're looking at your kind of two uh, hook curl players plus an extra guy that's that Tampa player that's the whole player, right, that, that you're looking at in the middle of the field that can be sitting on a lot of those middle of the field routes that the 49ers like to throw. But I think a lot of times you're probably going to be able to manipulate those guys a little bit, whether it's with play action and getting them to kind of suck up that way or whether it's, you know, we'll see the 49ers do a lot of uh, kind of high-low route concepts, right, where they sit somebody kind of underneath one of those linebackers, they run somebody in the intermediate level behind them, and uh, they can find and create some openings that way. So I don't think it, it necessarily is like, you know, it's going to force them out of uh, their comfort zone from a passing standpoint and in, in what they like to do. And when you couple that with the fact that the the Falcons have not been really great at rushing the passer, you, you create a situation where Jimmy Garoppolo, if he ha- if he is given time in the pocket, and it generally gets the ball to the right spot fairly quickly. They have the lowest team pass rush grade in the NFL, the Falcons do. They have the lowest pressure rate in the NFL at just 21.2%. That is well below the average. The NFL average is about 33%. So... This isn't a defense that's generating a ton of pressure. And if Jimmy Garoppolo continues to play at the level he's played the last couple of weeks, he's likely going to be able to pick a guy in there to get the ball to. And the offense should stay on schedule just simply because this Falcons defense is not great. And the great news is their best edge rusher is Dante Fowler. And it's looking like he might not even play this week. So he's kind of dealing with a calf injury, hasn't practiced this week at the time we're recording this. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, I think questionable at best that he's going to be there on Sunday, which really means that like Grady Jarrett is their only even remotely solid defensive lineman that they, that they yeah. are putting out and there. And he's, and he's along the interior. Yeah. Um, and so and, yeah, and it, it's not. Yeah. So it's just, I, I think like you mentioned, right. It's, it's been very good when they have time in the pocket. Uh, you know, if, if Jimmy Garoppolo has time, doesn't have to speed up that processing, uh, too much, then I think you know you're going to be able to see largely positive results from him. The Falcons, though, are a bit more exciting on the other side of the football because on the other side of the football, while they don't have their full complement of wide receivers, they do have Kyle Pitts and they do have Cordell Patterson, and those are two exciting players. One, not necessarily because of his youth, but because of the way he's being utilized, and, and Kyle Pitts just because he is good at football. He's good at being a receiving tight end. Uh, and, and that's, I think, where we'll start because Kyle Pitts can be a matchup problem for the 49ers. He is the fifth highest graded tight end. He is really more of a wide receiver than a tight end. He doesn't align in line all that much. He only aligns in line on 20% of the snaps. But his average depth of target at over 11 yards per target is second highest among tight ends. He is a guy that uh, could create some problems for the 49ers. And he's playing well this season. Yeah, I think it's he's going to test, you know, those middle of the field players, especially. Right. I I think he's going to line up in the slot a lot. He will line up out wide, too. So I think it'll be interesting to see if, uh, you know, they do choose to kind of like put him out wide more frequently in this game compared to what they've done on the season as a whole and try to create some matchups more against the 49ers outside cornerbacks and as opposed to middle of the field where you've got Fred Warner, you've got their safeties, uh, you know, that are playing a bit better uh, than of course those outside cornerbacks are. So I think that'll be a, a kind of an interesting thing to watch and where they put him and utilize him 
Um, but yeah, I, I think regardless of, of where he's at, he's somebody that they're going to need to be aware of, right? And, and they're going to need to uh, be able to match up with him well. I mean, I think it, it does lean in the 49ers' favor a little bit if they do kind of tend to put him more in the slot because then you start getting Fred Warner involved on a lot of those uh, you know, routes and, and stuff that he's going to be running because it's a lot more kind of in-breaking stuff you know, when you're lined up uh, in the slot like that. And so he's going to be able to kind of take advantage of that and, and uh, yeah, so I, I think where he lines up is going to be interesting. Who he ultimately gets matched up with most frequently from the 49ers defense is probably going to go a long way in determining how successful he ultimately is. Yeah, that 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 would really be my question is who takes him when he goes in the slot? Because you look at K1 Williams and there's, um, let's say, a mismatch in terms of height uh, there at that position. If you're going to do something like man up or play cover one, if you're going to zone in that area, then, yeah, you've got some help inside. Um, to be able to to protect against Kyle Pitts. But what could be interesting is if you've got Kyle Pitts, but then also someone else that you bring out wide, and that's Cordell Patterson. He's one of the stories of this year, and that's because maybe the Niners are going to get a taste of their own medicine. This is a player who was a wide receiver early in his career, but he's gotten up to about 230 pounds. He's 6'2", and he's really converted almost basically full-time to a running back. But he still gets some snaps out wide or in the slot. This season, he's got 217 running back snaps. He's got 134 snaps out wide or in the slot. Not quite 50-50, but if you end up lining him out, with, if you end up covering him or trying to cover him with a linebacker, he's got enough skill and enough wiggle to, to either run a choice route or you know just kind of run a route that a linebacker is not used to covering or is not comfortable covering. Um, I think as a running back, the Niners are going to contain him like they do just about any other running back, right? Um, so it really is when the team flexes him out as a wide receiver, how do you cover him? Um, the Niners, you know, probably have some idea based on what they see with Debo Samuel, but he is a very different type of running back wide receiver hybrid than Debo Samuel. Yeah, I mean, he's giving Lavishka Chenault hope for a, a positive future in this league right uh, what did chanel do to you he's like the last few weeks you've been since the jacksonville game you've been just burying my poor guy you don't think is that true like look you his coach probably kicks him enough like you don't Man, have right. to Why already gotta, put that's yeah that's <laughs> fucked up i ain't trying to be mean to the guy. i'm just saying like the guy is uh is maybe more of a running back. And I think that's Cordell Patterson too, right? He's been masquerading as a receiver for his entire career. And Hey, maybe you just need to put him in the backfield. And I think that's like, maybe whoever takes over for the Jaguars next year should look at LaVisca Chenault and say the same thing. But yeah. Any, anyway, I think the, the problems that he can create, right. It's him and Pitts together on the interior, right? And now you have kind of two threats and Patterson going to be, you know, while not obviously if just as a pure receiver, not going to be as great as, as some other guys. But when you look at him compared to uh, receiving ability from your typical running back, right, I think you're, you're going to look at him pretty fondly there. So um, when you have him and somebody like Pitts both in the middle, again, that's stressing kind of the linebackers for the 49ers. Fred Warner can only guard one of these guys at a time, right? So uh, you're going to need to see the other linebackers, Aziz, whoever the fuck else is healthy enough to play uh, at linebacker a little bit uh, alongside those two at times. And then, of course, you know, their safeties. Those are going to be the guys that that typically end up kind of matched up on those two players. And so, yeah, I think 
uh, with the 49ers, you know they're going to do a lot of zone. I mean, they, they really have even been uh, kind of going more and more away from any sort of man coverage looks the worse the situation gets at outside cornerback. So, I mean, it's been last week it was very, very heavy uh, zone coverage. And, and the times that they did go man, it was those two-man situations. So they got two safeties deep over the top to help those cornerbacks out as opposed to just the one guy in the middle of the field there. And, and so, yeah, I, I think you're going to see that probably continue and, and see a lot of zone coverage there. And so it's going to be those interior players that are ultimately responsible for, for kind of keeping tabs on these two. In 12 games this season, Patterson has 574 yards rushing, five rushing touchdowns, 519 receiving yards, and five rushing touchdowns. Those may all be career highs. And he's like 29, 30 years old. Um, so, you know, Hey, he found, he found a new role. He found what That's he it. does. Well. I, it feels like he's been around for fucking ever. How old is he? Well, in the sports oh, world, 30. you know, 30, yeah. yeah, yeah. 32 is basically like your death knell at this point. Um, you, you, and that's, I mean, outside Tom Brady is going to take the average up forever, but basically at 32, you're, uh, you're old. You're uh, he was, you, so he was in the, the 2013 draft which would have been, if I remember correctly, like the first draft that we did together on the pod. Cause I joined like, Oh man, he's that old. The 20, yeah. Like the 2012 season is when I started on the pod. And, and so I it would mean, have been that next off season that he uh, was drafted. I say do the draft, you know, like in air <laughs> back, quotes back here, then it wasn't a lot. Back then <laughs> we, I think we specifically avoided the draft yeah. back then, <laughs> which maybe was wise. <laughs> wise beyond our years back then so quick check in on matt ryan because he's going to be the guy that that makes this all go matt ryan uh, you know he's at this point on the decline in his career but he's still not a terrible terrible quarterback um you know you've got a, a big time throw rate of about 3.3 percent um and his turnover worthy play rate is lower than that 2.73 percent so at least he's not putting the, the ball in harm's way a, a lot and, and this is a quarterback that can still distribute if you give him time. He is the 16th high, highest graded quarterback on the season. Um, and though it, it's not by a significant margin, he's having one of the worst passing seasons of his career. But that's still not terrible uh, because like, like it's still kind of an average year as a quarterback for Matt Ryan. And so if, if he gets on a hot streak, this is something where it's like, you know, usually the best quarterback wins and, and how you perform in, with a clean pocket. Um, but but Matt Ryan, I mean, he, the Niners saw it in 2019. He can he might be able to deal. And, and that's that's going to be the pulse. I think if the Niners can get to him and make his life very uncomfortable, then all of a sudden I, I think the Niners are going to breeze through here. But this is not an opponent that you can just look at and say mm, they're old, they're bad, whatever. Um, Matt Ryan can still put a couple throws together. Yeah, I mean, I think the the game we get from Ryan is going to be kind of one of the big factors, right? Because he has had some very good games this season, has two games uh, with a grade above 90, a couple others there in like the mid 80s. So he has some high level play even on his tape this season. It's just been mixed in with some ugly stuff, right? So I think it's been a little bit more of a roller coaster than we've been accustomed to for most of Matt Ryan's career. And, and so, yeah, the version that we get in this game, I think, is is going to be big, right? Because I think it, at the very least, I mean, you mentioned something we've been talking about a lot, right, in, in terms of best quarterback winning and, and kind of giving your team an advantage when all else seems maybe mostly equal. This is the first time, I think, in a little bit since at least the Jaguars game, right, where we haven't looked at it and been like, 
yeah, the 49ers clearly have the worst quarterback in this situation, right? I think it's it's a little closer here, and uh, I, I don't think that that's necessarily going to be a clear advantage. But like you mentioned, I, I think Ryan's still very capable of putting together some of those high-level games. And, and if we do uh, see that from him, that could spell trouble. I think the thing that works in their favor is that they haven't really been able to push the ball downfield very frequently. So, I mean, his average depth of target is the fourth lowest in the NFL, below even uh, where Garoppolo's been at this season. And and he's only managed to throw those deep shots, those 20-plus yards in the air throws on on just shy of 7% of his overall throws. And and only Daniel Jones has a, a lower rate there. So he's not throwing that deep ball very often they haven't been generating a ton of explosive plays and I think that kind of plays into the the 49ers defense and, and what they one like philosophically they want to want to do and take away and then just also like the strengths of their personnel at this point right they, they don't really have the guys on that offense to test those outside cornerbacks deep which has been a big problem spot right they just haven't shown any ability if you have a good receiver on the outside and you send him deep down the sideline against one of those corners, like it's been bad news for the 49ers defense. And so they don't really have that guy that can go and and take advantage of those matchups. And if they continue to throw it short, I mean, that's what the 49ers are structured to take away, right? They're going to give you that, those short dink and dunk type throws. They're going to come up and make tackles on it. And that's going to largely be where they, uh, you know, kind of want to sit defensively. Yeah, I mean, their their receiving threats really are going to be their tight end and their running back. Yep, and, and that's and that's really it. I mean, R- Russell Gage, um, it's, I, I lose track of their receivers because uh, I think Calvin Ridley is out, and, and so I think it's basically Russell Gage at this point, um, and Quadre Allison. That's right. Uh, that's the other guy who it's like, like a bunch of like dudes it. that you just have no reason. I mean, Tajay Sharp, I think is is in there somewhere. Uh, who's this other dude? Yeah. Like a name that I definitely am not going to try to pronounce here on the podcast, but that's, there's a lot of consonants <laughs> there. Not fucking with that. Um, but that's not a good sign. So yeah, I, I think from a receiver standpoint, uh, right now, especially with Ridley not available like that, it's not a good situation. Yeah. So overall, I think the the picture, hopefully that we've painted accurately here is this is the game where the Niners are favored almost by double digits and rightfully so. And at this point, really an emotional dip would be, and maybe the khakis that Jim Harbaugh has buried somewhere in Levi's are are the the reasons the 49ers are going to lose this game. Because if this is just a game where where they're playing strength to strength, um, it, it's not a good matchup for the Falcons. Uh, it, it's it's a good matchup for the 49ers. So this should be a win. The Niners should basically, if they win this game, they stamp their playoff uh, their playoff route. And whether that's, you know, the 6th seed, 7th seed, whatever, they're, they're going to get in the playoffs if they win this game. This is an NFC game. It's important. Um, and that's going to be the first thing that leads off the quick hits. The playoff odds. Right now, the 49ers have a 74% chance uh, to make the playoffs based on 538's model. That goes up to 88% if they win. It dips all the way down to 31% if they lose. That's a 47% swing. That's big. Yeah. Like this is this is a big game. It's sneakily big. And and so I mean they, they really do hold their playoff destiny in their hands if they win this game against the Falcons. If they lose, well, yeah. 
that's it. It's not impossible, but it definitely takes a pretty big hit. Yeah, I mean, especially when you look at all of the teams that are kind of hovering right there around 500, right, or, and, and that are going to be competing for those final two spots. I mean, this being an NFC game, that's going to come into play in terms of tiebreakers and that conference record. So, yeah, I think both from a terms of just needing to bank wins right and, and needing to uh, continue to add those and then also from a tiebreaker perspective with I mean there are so they're at seven and six but there are one two three four five five other teams at six and seven right behind them so I mean there's a bunch of teams there that are kind of bundled together for those final two spots and and a win against an NFC team is is something that they really need right now uh, quick look back to the game against the Bengals, the win against the Bengals, and that's about the 49ers coverage tendencies. The 49ers played cover two 19 times in the win against the Bengals. They had played cover two 13 times combined in all of the games leading up to week 14. It was definitely a shift in their strategy from D'Amico Ryans. It by and large worked despite Josh Norman's best efforts. And and overall, I think it was uh, it was a, a really neat, fun game plan. We broke a lot of it down on the Patreon video that we posted um, earlier this week or earlier today. Um, and, and the Niners even did something they haven't done really uh, all season, which is a simulated pressure. They had two sim pressures in this game. They only had one sim pressure the entire season beforehand. It was a good defensive game plan, I think, from D'Amico Ryans. Yeah, I, I think it was definitely the the biggest change he's been willing to show in terms of adapting to the personnel that he has, right? They finally reached a point where it's like, I mean, like, look, we we would argue that they should have hit that point where they were panicked about outside cornerback before the season even started, but they, they finally got there internally. And, and so it seems like they, they are starting to now do some different things defensively um, to try and help those guys out, right? And try to limit the amount that those players can be taken advantage of and yeah, I think largely it worked. I mean, the Bengals clearly were not prepared for it. They they didn't, uh, you know, adjust to it quick enough. And, and I think that certainly worked in the 49ers' favor in, in the outcome of that game. Other news that happened this week, D. Ford is officially out for the year. His three-week window where he had to be put on the active roster after he, his practice window was open from injured reserve expired, I think, yesterday. Um, and so they decided to shut him down for the year. Has D Ford played his last game for the 49ers? I mean, when can they fucking get rid of him? I mean, that's the thing, right? His contract is is a nightmare. It's, and so Yeah, it is at this point. Because they restructured it twice. Once for cap relief and then, then the next time for more cap relief because he was injured. He can't be cut this year without costing the team more serious dollars than than actually it would cost them more to cut him than it does to just pay him and leave him on injured reserve. But in 2022. If they make him a post-June 1st cut, that means they'd still get hit with $14.4 million in dead money, but it gets split over two years. He'd get a $9.5 million cap hit in 2022, which is a little cheaper than the almost $12 million number that he would that he would hit normally. So they do get a little bit of savings. It's still a fair chunk of change that they're, that they're paying someone for not playing, but they would technically see a $2 million savings, and then the rest of that balance would hit the following year and with the cap going up a little bit you know that might be a, an easier pill to swallow once the new league year hits they would designate him a 2022 cap cut um i mean yeah it looks like yeah so the 2023 season on his contract is a void season anyway so I mean, right. he's really entering the final year of his deal but that's those numbers still don't look great i mean i wouldn't be surprised i'm not ready 
to uh to rule it out that he's back next year and like look he probably won't play a lot but like i bet he sneaks into a game or something if he's still on the roster at least so yeah i i I would not be surprised if he's still around next season yeah for me it really becomes you know the the roster spot that he's taking up at this point because you're going to pay him between nine and eleven million dollars anyway but you know he's going to end up on ir so he's not going to be taking up a roster spot This is this this is this is the maybe you keep him shelved and then like if it looks like he's gonna like they're gonna make a playoff run then maybe that's when you yeah just designate Um, him for the how long can you keep him on uh you know the the injured reserve ready return status as long as you want yeah as long as as long as he's on the first day roster start him there uh and then hey we'll we'll see if there's a point late in the season where he can come on and be healthy for a game or two and help us out. So a friend of the pod, Matt Barrows, had an article in The Athletic talking about Mitch Wisnowski, your favorite person. And he was talking about the part of the reason that there were so many muff punts in the game against the Bengals. And it was because, apparently, of all of these special kicks that Wisnowski has. Um, you know, maybe he should spend more time working on kickoffs and less of these special kicks. But uh, one of them was the knuckleball. One of them is called the banana ball. These sound like ridiculous names. So I ask you, David Newman, what is your favorite made-up punt style here on the spot? Just make it up, but we're going to go ahead and pretend it's real. You have to describe what the word means, too. Go. No. Um, I would like to... One, like, I would just like to ask the question: Why hasn't he been kicking doing the, this all year? <laughs> uh, the make the opposing team drop it punt um, for like his whole career. If this is the thing you can do on command that, and this was why it was such a problem for their, you know, punt returners to be able to handle, uh, these, these balls, like where the fuck has it been? You could have been using this for what? Three seasons now. Uh, All I'm saying is I'm waiting for the, you know, he's got a knuckleball, banana ball, the defend a straight ball. This, this is a ball where uh, he's just going to kick it up like five yards. He's going to kick it five yards deep, but it's going to go up so high that and, and it's going to force the returner to not fair catch it for some reason because it's you know part of the spin of the ball. It's going to confuse the punt returner. Uh, and then that punt returner is going to get crushed uh, and, uh, and his visor is going to break. It's going to get defenestrated. Um, I, that's, that's my made-up word. My made-up punt style you to play the game, is David. the urban, and it's where <laughs> the... <laughs> It's where the returner, as he's looking for the ball in the air, uh, feels a sudden, you know, kick-like <laughs> sensation that prevents where? him from, uh, you know, anywhere. Mix it up, you know. That's part of the. Oh, I was gonna. I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna combine two urban memes here. He was gonna feel it in his posterior area when, when he wasn't looking. Just surprise, <laughs> like you know, finger in the butt. Whoa! Can't catch that. <laughs> The urban, just a quick, quick oil check. The urban, yeah, the the, <laughs> the urban is better than uh, the defender straight ball. See, it's fun. It's more fun when you play. I almost said funner. Uh, all right. Lastly, as we round out, uh, it, Steph Curry, just take fifteen seconds to talk about how amazing uh, that record-breaking three was, and just Steph Curry in general. I love that guy. Man, it's been fun. I'm I'm glad I picked a good time to start watching more basketball. Like, I got it. Steph Curry is just so fun to watch, man. And yeah, I think even though like he hasn't even it's not like he's been shooting all that well, even for for a good chunk of this season, especially lately. Right. I mean, there's a lot of games where he's like five of 14, 
But it doesn't matter. Like every single one of those 14, you're just like, yep, that's fucking going in. <laughs> like you just kind of expect it. And uh, yeah, he's been really fun to watch. It was fun to watch him uh, break the the all time record against the Knicks there the other day. Um, yeah, I feel like he's yeah. been he's been pressing the last few weeks. Once it got yeah. to about like four games out from breaking the record, you could tell that he was kind of pressing it a little bit. And now that it's behind him, you know, then it, he, he can kind of release a little bit. Um, you could tell it, in this but game. It, I mean, it took all of like four and a half minutes for him to break it to yeah. get the two against the Knicks. And he was out like yeah. it was clear that they were just being like, let's get this shit over with early so we can move on yeah. and, and and get on two game back to back. Yeah, get him out. But he is he is incredible. He he is revolutionized basketball. And and he's just so he's so fun to watch. He he's incredible. I love watching basketball games with Steph Curry. But um, all right, that does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, tell me about the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Better Rivals. Head there, buy us a beer, support the pod. You get the live streams. You get the video on demand if live stream is not your thing. If you can't make it at these times, but you still want to see our faces, you can do that. You get the Discord. Get the weekly video breakdowns. Again, patreon.com slash better rivals. Buy us a beer. You can do it. Let's go be better than Chelsea was earlier today. Jesus. Let's go, let's go win a game. Let's go get into the playoffs. Let's go make some noise. Thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. <laughs>